Hey everybody, welcome to today's very special episode of Come Follow Me Daily Dose. Recently, we were talking about the story of Alma the Younger. I shared with you that my dear friend had a husband with an incredible Alma the Younger type conversion. After I published that episode, I couldn't stop thinking about my friend Tammy and her dear husband Scott. So I reached out to Tammy and asked for permission to share pieces of Scott's conversion and Scott's story with you. I want to thank Tammy for her willingness to share Scott's story and for Scott, who, as she says, would love to share his story with anyone that it could bless. Now, I know I generally have a 10-minute and under rule on these podcasts, but I hope you'll indulge me today, as this is a story that should not be told in just 10 minutes. Scott says... It was a morning early in October of 1994, the event of the semi-annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Howard W. Hunter, prophet and president of the church, was addressing the conference. He was addressing his comments directly to those who had fallen away. His kindness and love were palpable. To those who have transgressed or been offended, come back. The path of repentance, though hard at times, lifts one ever upward and leads to a perfect forgiveness. To those who are hurt or are struggling and afraid, we say, let us stand with you and dry your tears. Come back. Stand with us in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Tears welled and stung in my sore and hungover eyes. I felt like he was speaking directly to me. My heart warms to the memory even years later. I felt that President Hunter knew the pain I had been in and the heartache I had been experiencing. I sat in an overstuffed chair nursing a hangover as I listened and heard with my heart the words of a prophet. I cried. I knew what I had to do. But how? My involvement with Sean had just begun. I loved Sean and didn't want to hurt him, too. So I stored the feelings the love and the desire I felt for the gospel in the corners of my heart where they would smolder. Now I want you to think about this experience where Scott heard the words of the prophet. They meant something to him, but he didn't feel like he was in a place where he could give place for those words to make a change. Think about Alma the Younger, the words of his father, the words of the prophet sank deep in him. So that when he was in the time of his greatest need, those were the words that came to him. As much as he didn't want to change when his father taught him. As much as he didn't allow for those words to change him in the moment, they stuck with him and became a part of his ultimate conversion. Just like these words of President Hunter for Scott. Scott talks about how many times throughout the next year, he felt these moments where God was reaching out to him, felt these times where the Lord was trying to teach him and to tell him about his love. I imagine that it was much the same for Alma the Younger, that God didn't just turn his back on him because he wasn't making correct choices, but that he was continually reaching out to Alma in love, trying and striving to bring Alma back into his fold. Scott goes on to say, The next year would be filled with moments and promptings of love, in spite of my continuing to be involved with Sean and spending time in the bars. I was in My Fair Lady, 
and had a great time. I wished I could be more involved with the Hale Center Theater. Their love and positive influence, in spite of myself, had been so welcoming and inviting. When the rumor went out that Richard Wilkins, director of A Christmas Carol, and Scrooge for the preceding 13 years, would be looking for an understudy for the part he had been very protective of, I determined I would give it my best. Richard and the producers decided that they would bestow upon me this laurel wreath, and with fear and thrill, I accepted. I would also be playing the role of the spirit of Christmas present. Rehearsals were sometimes fraught with tension and stress, but I knew that all would be well. The production team had determined that it would not be right for me to learn the role and then not be able to do it. It was decided that I would take the noon matinees on Saturdays through the run. There would be three times for me to be the old skin flint and curmudgeon. There were times during the run of A Christmas Carol that I became the very incarnation of Christmas present, and I was responsible for bringing Scrooge closer to his repentance. Mark well the hurt of need and the scars of poverty. The woe of things man might change, but does not. Became words that were my own. I understood the ache and the pain of need. These were feelings that had been mine once in childhood, and again later. Many times in my desperation to quench the fires of guilt and depression in my adult years. With the influence of the spirit of Christmas present in my heart, I prepared for my first time on stage as Scrooge. The rehearsals of the scene in front of the spirit of Christmas future, where Scrooge proclaims his repentance, had been difficult at best. The simple emotions ran high enough, but when I performed the role, there was with me a certain spirit that I felt from the beginning. I had asked Heavenly Father kneeling in prayer for his blessing and for the spirit to be felt. I never imagined I would feel the spirit the way I did. I felt the anger and the meanness as Scrooge would have felt it. I was the cold-hearted, vindictive, ornery, cankerous, and unrepentant miser and sinner. As I watched and listened to the characters interact, I was taken away and felt I was in another space, all the while perfectly aware of the audience surrounding me. The spirit of Christmas past took me to school, where I saw the lonely boy who read alone, while the others played, and I saw the lonely boy in me who walked the playground alone, or played hopscotch when the kick soccer teams were full. I saw the solitary early teenager going to movies, dances, and the mall alone. I witnessed my own growing cynicism as time passed, and I experienced the pain of false accusation. I felt my own despair as a loved sweetheart turned and walked away, and future joy slipped from my grasp. I heard the voice of Christmas past as tinkling glass as he recited, These are the shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. My concourse with the spirit of Christmas present showed me the disastrous parallels between my own real life and the life of Scrooge. I saw myself missing family parties and get-togethers while I indulged myself in drugs, alcohol, and sex. I saw the sadness of my family and the fear in their eyes as I slowly slipped away from them and from the light. The words of the spirit of Christmas present rang in my ears as he declared, Mark well the hurt of need and the scars of poverty, the woe of the things man might change, but does not. I had seen my own present state filled with hopelessness and unfulfilled dreams. I recognized what I needed to change. 
Tears welled in my eyes and stung as they ran down my cheek as the first act ended. Now, my friends, as I read these words that Scott has written, I think of Alma. I think of that moment when the angel appeared and he had that awakening, that moment of remembering his guilt, that harrowing experience. But my friends, it was not the angel that changed Alma. It was the Savior. And as we continue to read Scott's story, I love seeing how the Savior reached into his life and changed him. He says, The second act began, and my spirit was loaded with guilt. I was nearly anticipating the graveyard scene and wished we could get it over with. But before that could happen, I had to experience the sadness of loss. I had to experience a memory of unkindness and a lack of concern like that of the solicitors for Scrooge upon hearing of Scrooge's passing, as it had been with me and my lack of concern for my own family through the darkest days of my drug addiction. I had to be reminded of the horror of the wicked selfishness of those who ransacked Scrooge's bedroom while his lifeless body lay in the bed, as horrible as the wicked selfishness that had led me to leave the gospel behind. I had to endure the silence of the spirit of Christmas yet to come, just as the Lord had endured the silence of my own spirit. As the specter of Christmas yet to come showed me Scrooge's future in a headstone, I saw the light go out on my own future. And when the headstone lit up with Ebenezer Scrooge in hellish red, my voice cried out, Ebenezer Scrooge, but my soul cried out, Scott Morgan, and it rang in my ears. Tears streaming down my face, I turned to the spirit before me and to the spirit within me, and I questioned, bewildered, am I that man? Realizing the answers, I proclaimed panic and doom filling my soul, no, I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. The pleadings, muffled and distorted by my own sobbing, to be able to change the shadows of the future, to scrub away the writing on the stone that ensued, were not just for the character of Scrooge, but they seemed to be for me as well. The promise, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me, and I will not shut out the lesson they teach, became my solemn oath. I knew the path I had to take, and soon I had experienced a change in my heart and my spirit. More incredible than this, the theater patrons who had seen this were convinced that they had been witness to something beyond a play. As people left the theater, they asked about me and my well-being. They were genuinely concerned for me and what I had experienced and what they had experienced with me. It would only be a short matter of time that the flesh would lead out and follow the spirit. I shared these things with Sean, knowing full well that the decisions I was making would leave him behind. He reacted as I thought he would, adversely. He had always felt that we would live out the rest of our lives together. The Lord had other plans. He resisted and cried. I cried with him. The transformation and a miracle began to take place. That miracle continues. Alma finishes his testimony to his son by saying, And I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, yea, and in all manner of afflictions, yea, 
God has delivered me from prison, and from bonds, and from death. Yea, and I do put my trust in him, and he will still deliver me. Scott also shares his testimony of what the Savior can do for us. He says, At this Christmas time, it would be my prayer and hope that we will remember the birth of Christ and rejoice in his atonement and his gospel of love and peace. I would hope that you will take advantage of his love daily and through an altered life, change the shadows of things that might be. Let this be my testimony to you, that his love changes lives. It changed mine. My friends, I add my portion of testimony to Alma and to Scott. When we experience the sweetness of redemption, when we allow ourselves to be embraced in the love of Christ, when we are willing to set aside our mistakes and our sins, I testify that the Savior is able to step in. He is able to wrap us in his love, and he is able to redeem our souls. Thank you so much for listening today, and a special thank you to my dear friend Tammy, who allowed me to share the conversion of her dear husband Scott. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. Thank you.